You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Blot. Hello, my radio friends. I'm very glad you've joined me today, and it's my hope and prayer that you will understand better what God is like as is revealed in his holy word. Have you ever known someone who met someone whom whom they regarded as Mr. or Miss Perfect? During the courting stage, the potential partner does everything right, giving the impression of their fidelity. Then, after the marriage, it turns out that Mr. or Mrs. Perfect lets their guard down and reveals their true characteristics. Maybe this person is violent, has a bad temper, is selfish, addicted to alcohol or drugs, or does not remain true to their vows of faithfulness. Result? Much heartache, unhappiness and disappointment for the other partner, and most probably a break in the marriage relationship happens far too often. In Australia, the statistics are that only about half the marriages remain intact. And these figures are only for those who actually choose to marry. I suspect in regard to those who live in a de facto relationship, the statistics are probably worse. The life of such people, the life page of such people, I should say, becomes blotted with misery, sin, disappointment and hurt. In a spiritual sense, some people think God as someone who has a huge blot, an inerasable stain on his character. And how's that, you might be wondering? Well, it's about what God does with sinners. Someone said to me recently that God gives everyone who does not commit to him a second chance, in that after they die they're given another chance to make redress for their sinful first life. That message of a second chance is not biblical. It's a deception, and it's simply a story supposedly demonstrating God's graciousness and his unwillingness that anyone should perish. And it also provides a framework of belief that human beings can live irresponsibly to play around with sin and get away with it. The New Living Translation of the Bible puts 1 Corinthians 6-2 this way, For God says, At just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Second chance? No. It is now when you are to choose to serve God or not. It is in this life, not some undefined future time. You must make up your mind whose side you are on now, in your present life. The second chance doctrine, if you could call it that, does not agree with God's word, the Bible. The Bible tells us and explains that 
God is unwilling that anyone should perish and makes many appeals to turn people to him and be saved. But that only happens in this life. When Jesus returns to take the saints home with him to heaven, he comes with a judgment verdict. Revelation 22 verses 7 to 14 explains, These are the words of Jesus. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And the prophet John said, I am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There'll be no changes after Christ's second coming. God has been patient enough. The verdict remains fixed, and that means we must choose now in this life whom we will serve. The idea of a second chance is just some woolly, fairy floss, man-made theology that's at odds with what the scriptures actually teach. Second chance? If that's not a blot on God's character, what then is? Now we come to the repugnant, terrible teaching that God has a place where the wicked will have to endure torture in the fires of hell for eternity. This doctrine, popularly taught in many Protestant churches, stems from a complete misunderstanding of the nature of God and contradicts the rest of the Scriptures. It is a doctrine of fear to scare people to be good. It's a doctrine of the devil because it supposes that when people die they do not really die. It is a doctrine that supports the devil's lie to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan contradicted God's statement that if our first parents chose to disobey God's command, he said they would not surely die. Sadly, there are many otherwise beautiful Christians who believe God has a really nasty streak in his character a blot of gigantic proportions. 
But 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 what about the statement made by Jesus in Matthew eighteen verse nine where he said And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Once, over 4,000 years ago, God almost completely destroyed the earth with a worldwide flood. This was because of man's wickedness. But after that, he promised to never again use water to destroy the earth. Instead, fire will be used. This fire is commonly referred to as hell. Hell is not a place. It is a condition. You can't go to a map and find a place called hell, except for the fact that there's a town in the United States they call hell. So then, what about another statement made by Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 41? We're describing the wicked, he said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46, Jesus added, And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now the word eternal means permanent. The reward of the saints, eternal life, is a condition of permanence, and the condition of the wicked will also remain permanent. Now it's important for you to understand that the punishment and not the punishing is permanent. If the punishing is permanent, that places a huge blot on God's character. It is monstrous that he should sentence people to suffer for eternity for just a short lifetime of sin. God's justice character and claims about himself could rightly be questioned. Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 records a statement made by the Lord as he passed by Moses. And here's what he said about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, yet prepared to commit sinners to an eternity of suffering? You've got to be joking. Something does not add up here. Revelation chapter 14 verse 9 is another statement that needs clarifying. It says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. 
these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Earlier I said that the punishment of the wicked will go on forever and ever, not the punishing. Yet here, the Bible seems to suggest that the punishing continues for always. It's appropriate when there appears to be a contradiction to look at other verses about the subject in question to see if they can throw any further light on the subject. And the first of these is Revelation 20 verse 10, verse 14 and verse 15, where it says, And the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulphur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here the Bible tells of the ultimate destruction of the devil his agents and those who are not saved, they are thrown into a lake of fire. It doesn't sound like a smouldering fire, does it? Well, we're going to have a little break and we'll go on straight afterwards. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power. In the precious blood of the Lamb Power, power, 
Bible speaks about the devil, his agents, and the wicked people being thrown into a lake of fire. That's not just a smouldering fire. That's a fire that causes complete and permanent destruction. Now, in that verse I just read you, there's a bit about the second death. That occurs because of and in the lake of fire. There is no mention of anyone surviving this punishment, although the wording in the verse says they will be tormented forever and ever. So now let's check some other verses. 2 Peter 3.10 is a graphic statement. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the earth and everything in it will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then we're challenged in verse 11. It says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? The inference is that if people continue living wickedly, they will be part of that utter destruction by fire. And there are some similar thoughts expressed in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3, which says the following, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be as stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But to you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked, and they will be ashes and the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord. So then, how do we reconcile the idea of a continuous smouldering punishment of the wicked with complete and utter destruction of the wicked? They can't both be right. Probably the key to understanding the fate of the wicked is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that word perish mean? It means to die completely and utterly. The dead are not, would not, be able to even feel pain because, as recorded in Ecclesiastes 9.5 and 9.10, they know nothing and have no knowledge. The eternal burning in hell doctrine assumes people do not die. They therefore have to be alive. 
in view of John 3.16, that remaining idea about being alive is wrong. In view of 2 Peter 3.10, that idea is wrong. And in view of Malachi 4.1-3, that idea is also wrong. Hell is not some simple smouldering fire. It's an enormous fire of destruction with intense heat. The King James Version of the Bible describes the destruction slightly differently. It says the elements shall melt with fervent heat. If the elements such as copper, iron, silver and gold will melt and be destroyed by fire, what chance does a human have of surviving such a holocaust? The most sticky issue is the wording in Revelation 14 and 20 where it says the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever. Could it be that this expression conveys an unintended meaning? In the second to last book of the Bible, Jude, is a reference to what God did to destroy those extremely wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude, verse 7, says, In a similar manner, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishments of eternal fire. So what is the example of Sodom and Gomorrah? The cities and surrounding towns were completely burned. Nothing was left, no plants, no animals, no humans. It was complete and utter destruction. Is that fire, described as eternal fire, still burning? No, it ceased to burn. When there was nothing left to burn, it died out. I suggest to you that the example of Sodom and Gomorrah answers the question of a continuously burning hell. What burns remains burning only when there is some combustible material to burn. God, although he hates to finally and ultimately destroy the wicked, will not allow eternal suffering. But in his strange act of destruction of the wicked, the universe will be freed of sin and sinners, never to appear again to corrupt and pollute the universe. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to sin. God cannot have a blot on his character. The eternal burning in hell theory paints God as a nasty, brutal, unjust tyrant who imposes a heavy punishment, punishment far greater than the crime. You know, that's not my God. My God will deal with sin and sinners swiftly and completely. Otherwise, I don't think I could trust him. The God I know does not have a blot on his character. My God wants you and me in his kingdom of glory, 
where there will be no sin, no pain, and no ever-burning hell. Don't you be someone who puts a slur on God's character by holding this despicable idea that God punishes for eternity? The punishment will surely happen, but it will be complete and its effects are permanent forever and ever.